Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. And so if you haven't opened your Bibles, uh, your Bible apps, please do so. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning, uh, in uh, particularly chapter 10. Uh, So growing up, and, and really through my freshman year of high school, my favorite sport was baseball. I loved baseball. Have you guys seen the movie The Sandlot? Like, that was my summers, minus getting chased by a big dog. But that was, I was obsessed with playing baseball. I grew up like three blocks from the baseball diamond in our town, and so we were either down there playing ball or in our backyard playing ball and our neighbor's yard or out front playing wiffle ball. Whatever it was, it was baseball all summer. Loved it. It was a joyful time of year, my favorite time of year. And here's the thing about baseball. It is the ultimate team sport. The ultimate team sport. One single individual player, the impact they have on a a game is limited far more than any other team sport. Certainly in basketball, but I would argue even more so than sports like soccer or hockey or water polo or football. I mean, if you think about the game of baseball, it is almost impossible for one player to affect the outcome of a game. Like you can think of a pitcher, like a pitcher, that's the closest you can come. But understand that a pitcher only pitches once every five games, five days. And so a pitcher is playing about 30 to 35 games out of a 162 game season. And then batters, the the best hitters in the world, they don't hit home runs every single time. And in fact, the best hitters are only successful three out of 10 times. So they are utterly dependent upon their teammates to hit as well and get on base. And and if you go back to thinking about the pitchers again, pitchers can strike a lot of people out. They can keep the team from hitting, but pitchers can't score runs. Here's, Here's the way that you can most see this though. Like in most sports, especially at the pro level, the best players typically elevate their teams to playoff level, if not championship level. You see this in basketball, of course. You see this in football. We just saw this in the World Cup. I mean, Lionel Messi, the best player maybe in history. Well, I mean, debate between Pele, who just passed away. But if you're a soccer fan, you can have that argument. But you see the best players elevating their teams. But in baseball, this actually is rarely the case. You have a case like, and those of you that follow baseball, maybe you're familiar with Mike Trout. Mike Trout, and my, my, my argument, I'll, and I will fight anybody on this, I think Mike Trout is the best baseball player to ever play the game. 
and the stats are showing he's only been playing for 11 years, but I think by the time he is done, he will be considered the best pure baseball player of all time, even better than Babe Ruth. Yeah, go ahead and fight me. It's okay. (laughs) But here's the thing. In 11 years, the greatest player of his generation has been to the playoffs one time. One time. And even when they added another MVP caliber player to the team, still didn't make the playoffs. The Angels are perennial losers. Why? Because one great player, two great players isn't enough. Baseball is the ultimate team sport. What's my point? Christianity is the ultimate team religion, the ultimate team faith. In Christianity, we absolutely need and are dependent upon each other. You are not enough. You are not enough. In fact, the way Christianity has been established, the way God has shaped our faith is that you and Jesus aren't enough. You need other people. God's purposes in redemptive history to save is to save a people that would come together as a community, as a family, and would love and be dependent upon each other. None of us is sufficient in and of ourselves. We are meant to be in community. You cannot thrive as a Christian playing the Lone Ranger Christian. You cannot thrive as a Christian if you sort of see community as a nice to have and you kind of keep it at arm's length. In fact, you cannot be obedient to Jesus if you treat community as a nice to have and keep community at arm's length. Over four, or nearly 40 times in the New Testament, we are told to live in community using the language of one another. And this is what we're going to spend the month of January considering. We're going to look at five of these one another passages. Passages that tell us to do things like love one another, be kind to one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another, instruct one another, bear with and put up with one another. All of those passages, all those commands of the Lord in his word, you cannot do them living in isolation. You cannot do them unless you're up close and personal and committed to community. Christianity is the ultimate, ultimate team faith. We need each other. And this morning, we're going to look at one of those passages from Hebrews 10, where we are instructed to consider one another, to provoke, to love and good works that we should not neglect gathering together and we should encourage one another, encourage each other. And I'm sure if you're a Christian, you've heard these things before. You, you've, you've been encouraged to provoke to love and good works. You, you've been told probably repeatedly, hey, don't neglect getting together with other Christians. And we've been told to encourage one another. These are all great things, good things. But do you know why scripture tells us in Hebrews 10 to do these things? Like what's at stake? What's underneath all of that? In a word, it's this, endurance. Endurance. If you and I are going to endure in our faith, we need other Christians. 
The point, as we're going to see in Hebrews 10, that the punch of verses 24 and 25 are this, that we need one another, you need others, you participate in the endurance of other Christians. If we are going to endure in our faith, we are not going to do that being isolated from community, keeping community at arm's length, not being committed to community. I don't know about you, but I want to endure in my faith. Like, I want to endure to the end. I don't want to flame out or flake out. And I'm not just talking about whether you believe or don't believe, but I'm, I'm talking about thriving as a Christian, thriving and growing in my faith. I want that. I hope you want that as well. I hope we want that as a church. But if that's going to happen, we need one another. And so the title for my message this morning is this, You Can't Endure Alone. And here's the the point, here's the, the main punch that I want us to grab hold of this morning is this. We endure in Christ through the help of one another. We endure in Christ through the help of one another. Now, let me, let me say this from the start. We're, we're talking about what it means to be committed to Christian community. And, and I know that for some in this room, that call, that challenge, probably provokes some fear because you've experienced the pain of community. You've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by other Christians. And so you hear a pastor start talking about committing to the church, you immediately put up your defenses. You, beginning to, you immediately start to sort of question that and question my motives. <laughs> well, hey, I, I just want to say from the outset, like, look, I understand that pain. I understand that fear. And it's welcome here. Like, you can be honest about it. You don't have to run away from it. You don't, you don't have to sort of deny it. I'm not, I'm not asking you to bury it and pretend it's not there and get over yourself. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be honest because the only way you are going to grow and heal is by taking steps to lean back into community because that is how God has designed your faith to grow is within community. And, and so I know that's a process. I know that is hard. I know that takes time. And it's, it involves both trusting other people and trusting the church. But more than that, what I want to do is I want to hold out God's word for you to, to show you what his promises are, his intention for you is, and how his power works through his church, through his community. And I hope that begins to rebuild some of that trust. And for the rest of us, I want, us, I want to encourage you all the more to be committed to the life of the church because what's at stake is nothing short of endurance. Like our faith is at stake here. The faith of your brothers and sisters helping each other, encouraging one another, strengthening one another so we can endure to the end. That's what's at stake here. This is not just nice sentiment and good feels. This is everything. And so I want to encourage us here from Hebrews 10 this morning. And if we're going to understand really the fullness of this passage, we need to sort of back up a minute and consider what's going on in the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to try to do what some people may think is impossible and summarize the book of Hebrews in a paragraph. <laughs> so here's what's going on in the book of Hebrews. And if you've read this book, you know it is a wonderful um, tapestry. It is majestic in its beauty and its scope. But at the heart of it, the pastoral burden of this letter is that these Christians, these Jewish Christians in particular, would endure in their faith. See, what was happening is that there were a group of Jewish Christians that this letter was, was addressed to that were starting to walk away from Christ. 
They were turning away from Christ and they were returning to Moses and the law and the sacrificial system. They, they, they were turning their back on Christ and his supremacy and going back to the lesser. Now, we need to be clear here. Moses, as, as we have seen, as we've been studying the book of Exodus, and the law and the sacrificial system and the temple and the tabernacle and the whole Old Testament system of worship, that was good and that was proper and that was true in its time and in its place. However, as the book of Hebrews points out to us, those things have passed and the greater has come. You see, Moses was a servant in God's household, but as Hebrews tells us, Jesus is the son over the household. The law, the sacrificial system, the temple, the priesthood, all of those things were good and right in their time. But what does Hebrews tell us? They were shadows. Christ is the substance. They were placeholders. They were signposts pointing to Jesus and fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is greater than any prophets, any sacrificial or religious system, greater than any temple or tabernacle that we could build. Jesus is greater even than the angelic beings. Over and over and over, the book of Hebrews is pointing to the supremacy of Christ and the glory and the greatness of Christ above all other things. And why? Because Jesus is the only one who can truly bring salvation and redemption. What other prophets, what other sacrificial systems, what other temples and tabernacles could never do, Jesus does. He fully, truly, and completely cleanses us from our sins, forgives us of our sins, and he does that to bring us into the presence of God. Not into a temple where there's a curtain and we can only get so close. No, all the way face to face with God all the way into the presence of God so that we can know him as father. Jesus is the one who truly forgives and sets free. Jesus is the one who brings victory over sin and evil and death. Jesus is the king, the son of God. And Hebrews is exalting that, pointing that out, saying he far surpasses all other things. That's the book of Hebrews in a nutshell. (laughs) Yet these Jewish Christians were turning their back on Christ. For all his greatness and all his supremacy, they were going back to the lesser. They were turning their back on the greater and going back to the lesser. They were not enduring in their faith. Now the question that we could ask, and this is a good question to ask, is why? What was causing them to do this? Well, we don't really know. There's no clear indication in the book of Hebrews exactly what was going on, but we can guess because people are people. We can understand the dynamics of the human heart and try to sort of understand what may possibly happened here. It's possible that for these Jewish Christians who for so long had been shaped to understand that Moses and the law and the sacrificial system and the temple and the priesthood, all these things were at the center of their cultural and their political and religious identity. And to say that those things have passed and now Christ has come, like old habits die hard. Old identities die hard. And so for them to be still surrounded by those who embrace these things as part of their culture, it was probably tempting for them to go back. Or it's possible that they found a sense of significance and self-worth and value in keeping a religious system. 
I mean, we can feel a sense of pride and self-satisfaction and self-fulfillment if we do all of these good things. That seems, sometimes seems far more satisfactory than saying, I am utterly dependent and need Jesus. So pride, chasing after identity. Or it's possible that the shame of following a crucified Messiah was too much. Now, Hebrews doesn't use this language, but other places in the New Testament do, where the cross is considered foolishness. The cross was seen as a shameful thing. And so to follow a crucified Messiah would bring a bit of ridicule and scorn. And so it's possible the shame of that was too much. We don't know. But here's what we need to be honest about. The same struggles, the same temptations live in our hearts. Like the same sort of draw away from Christ, this sort of deterioration of endurance surrounds us as well. Like the influences of pride and fear and shame in our heart do these dances with all of the outside sort of cultural influences around us. Is it not true? Because here's, here's how this can kind of work. Like we're, we are wired to be social creatures. Like we are wired to live in community. We're wired to be influenced and shaped by our community. This is right and this is good. This doesn't mean that we we're just like mindless sheep that kind of just follow the herd and don't think for ourselves and, and have to push back when the, when the community is doing things that are wrong. But we are meant to be part of a community that shapes us and strengthens us. And so when we live in a culture, in a society that increasingly tells us your faith, your following Christ, your following the Bible, and biblical gender ethics and sexual ethics, biblical truth, when, they, when you're told that that is hateful and bigoted and harmful over and over and over and over and over and over again, when everything in your community around you is telling you, walk away, give it up, evolve, get with the program, progress, that starts to wear on you. Do you know that? Do you feel that? I mean, if you spend time in our world and our culture, if you're around people who embrace cultural mindset, those messages just keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming and they wear us down and they wear us down and they wear us down and the weakness in our own hearts connects with that and endurance can start to erode. We can start to turn our back on Christ and walk away and start chasing other things. But it doesn't have to be just that. Like I would say more often than direct contradiction of our faith, our culture lulls us to sleep. Lulls us to sleep with the endless sort of feeding of pleasure and comfort and wealth. Like why do I need to fight you when I can feed you? Why would I want to get in a fight with you and argue with you and try to reason you out of your belief when I can just hand you a bunch of pleasure and get you to not care about Jesus all that much. Where it seems like things like wealth and comfort and pleasure and success and sports and politics, you name it, fill in the blank, are far more glorious than Jesus. Far more life-giving. That's what our culture can do as well. And so here's the question you need to ask. Like what you give your mind and your heart to now, the pattern of your life right now, in the days, in the weeks, 
in the years to come, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, is it leading you to endurance? Like 20 years from now, are you going to be not just in the faith, but are you going to be thriving? Are you going to have grown in your love and your devotion to Christ? Are you going to be more confident in his faithfulness, confident in his promises, more faithful to love and to serve and to sacrifice, more faithful to share the gospel, more hopeful than you've been? Is the way you are living your life now, the things you're giving your mind and your heart and your body to now, leading you on that path or are they leading you away from that? Is it eroding your endurance? Eroding your faith in Christ and the supremacy of Christ? How about this, parents? Are the ways that you are loving and discipling and leading your kids, setting them up for a life of endurance? If your kids follow after your pattern and the things you are teaching them to value and to give themselves to 20 years from now when they are adults, are they gonna be on a path of endurance? A path of loving Jesus and cherishing Jesus and seeing him as the supreme above all things? Or are they going to be nice, hardworking, tax-paying, country-loving, patriotic moralists? These are hard questions. These are things we have to ask ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves about. Because if we are going to endure, these are the things we need to look at and consider. The author of the book of Hebrews was burdened for these Christians. He was burdened that they would endure. And so he painstakingly, majestically paints a picture of the supremacy of Christ, Christ greater than Moses, Christ greater than the law, Christ greater than the priesthood and the sacrificial system, Christ greater than any cultural, religious, or political identity we could ever have, Christ the only one who brings salvation and forgiveness and freedom, the one who truly brings us into the presence of God. It's through the work of Christ that we endure It's as Christ is supreme in our lives and we take hold of that and our hearts and minds are shaped by that and we give our lives to that. That's the pathway to endurance. That's how we endure. And that's what the author of the book of Hebrews does here. And then he turns and he exhorts them. In light of all of those things that are true about Jesus, here's what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, because of the greatness of what Jesus has done, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Brothers and sisters, because of the all-sufficient supreme work of Jesus, because Jesus shed his blood to forgive us, and set us free from the power of sin and bring us into the presence of God, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to our Father because it is by the presence and power of God that we endure. Jesus did everything so that we could endure and he has brought us into that place where endurance is found. And because it is found in the presence of God, let's live in the presence of God. When we gather to worship, We are coming into the presence of God to worship. 
when we pray and we commune with our God in prayer, when we're in his word, we are coming into the presence of God so that we may be strengthened, so that we may be shaped in his grace and his love and his comfort, so that our identities would be shaped in the identity that he has given us, so that our confidence would grow in his faithfulness. Friends, it is by the presence and power of God we endure, so let us draw near. Let's hold tight to that confession that Christ is supreme over all things. It is through Christ and the power of God that we endure. I wanna be very clear about that. Never forget that. You endure by the power of God, not your performance, not your own strength. If it was up to us, none of us would endure. And if you're honest for five seconds, you know that about yourself. It is through the power of Christ that we are kept. Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. What he begins, he ends. The good work he began in you, he will bring to completion. If you are in Christ, God is keeping you and holding you forever by his power. So rest in that. Be encouraged by that and lean in because of that. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. That's not where the author of Hebrews leaves it. He doesn't just say, draw near to God, be in his presence and you will endure. Close the book, have a good day. No, he takes it a step further. Where does he go after that? He says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. The power of God that causes us to endure, it's not this abstract force that just happens as we sit on our hands. Like the power of God that causes us to endure is worked out in tangible ways in our lives through community, through one another, through the church. That the power that we need the power that we experience as we draw near to God and we hold tight to our confession and we, that, that that power also is experienced as we consider one another, as we provoke one another to love and good works, as we don't neglect meeting together, as we encourage one another. You see, you can't endure alone. We endure in Christ through the help of one another as Hebrews 10 makes clear. And so friends, the endurance that you and I want to see, the power of God to endure that we experience and we put our hope in is worked out in our lives in community. Remember what I said earlier, like we're social creatures. We're wired to be influenced and shaped by our community. And as much as that can happen negatively, God intends it to be for our good. God designed this thing, the church, to be a community that shapes us and encourages us so that we would endure. We cannot endure alone. And so God gave us each other so that he would, we would ensure our endurance. And so what does Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 call us to, to help one another? What does this look like to help each other endure? Well, first, he says, consider one another to provoke love and good works. This is such a good word and an counterintuitive word. So here's how we can often think about this. Okay, I need to endure. Like I gotta focus on my faith and, and I need to 
I, I need to be drawing near to God and, and concerned about my soul and concerned about um, walking in a godly way and being obedient to Christ. That's, yes, good, good, good. But here, the author of Hebrews flips the thing on its head and says, hey, you want to endure? Consider other people. Like, like how you endure is not so much focusing on yourself, but focusing on other people. Because when we focus on other people, someone's going to focus on us and encourage us, and we're not going to be self-obsessed. There is a sense where when we are serious about endurance, we're thinking about other people. The word consider here in the Greek means to think about very carefully, to carefully consider, to, to be intentional, to be purposeful, to, to actually take time and go, hmm, who is this person? What do they struggle with? What do they like? What do they dislike? What's going on in their life? Actually giving thought, how can I step in and how can I provoke them to love and good works? Considering other people, giving other people thought, intentional thought, purposeful thought, regular thought, taking our focus off ourselves and putting it on others. And as we do that, as that is the culture of the church, then we're going to lean in and love and care for one another. No one is going to be isolated. No one is going to be out on their own. No one is going to slip through the cracks as we consider others. And then we consider others to provoke, so we can provoke to love and good works. Here's this great like, reality about the Christian life. If you want to grow in righteousness, like if you want to grow in breaking bad habits, we'll just put it that way. It's New Year's Eve, we're all making resolutions, right? If you want to grow in breaking bad habits, you want to grow in doing the things that please the Lord, here is like a, just a great way to do that. Love other people and do good things. Like if you are focused on loving other people, sacrificing for other people, and doing good works, the good works that God has called us to do, you know what's going to happen? Those things are going to push out all those bad habits. Sometimes we get so focused on, I gotta stop, I gotta stop, I gotta stop, and we miss this. Hey, what can I do that is good for other people? How can I love other people? How can I do good works to other people? So, so there's this principle that we're gonna grow, and if we're committed to love and good works, we're gonna endure. But here's the, the reality. How often do you and I give ourselves consistently to love and good works? Like, I don't know, maybe like two days? Like that's, I, mean, I don't know, that's probably what I am. Like two days, I can do well. That third day, man, I start the wheels start falling off and I really start to struggle. We're wildly inconsistent. We struggle with this. So we need other people to come in who have been considering who have been getting to know us, who have been observing, who have been caring and saying, hey, Chris, I've noticed this about you. I've noticed you're struggling in this way. Or, hey, can I encourage you to love and good works in this way? We need other people. Like, let me just be honest. There have been plenty of times in my life where the last thing I wanted in the world I wanted to do was love and good works, but thankful for my wife. She encouraged me. There have been times as a pastor, I'm just going to be honest, sometimes I've struggled and I wanted to give over to anger and cynicism and I'm thankful for Pastor Paul who encourages me to love and good works. 
Like we need each other to do this because we can be so inconsistent and we can struggle and we become self-focused. But when we commit to considering others and provoking each other to love and good works, we're gonna help each other grow. We're gonna help each other put to death those bad habits and walk in life in Christ in order that we may endure. So consider others, provoke to love and good works. The second thing here is encourage. It says to encourage all the more as you see the day approaching. Like, look, life is hard, right? Life is painful. Life is difficult. And at times that pain and that hurt, man, it wears us down. And the more we wear down and our faith wears down, what happens? We become more susceptible to sin. It's like physically speaking, if you are tired and, and, and you haven't gotten a, you know, good sleep, what are you more prone to do? Eat junk food. I don't know if that's true. That's totally true with me. Like, if I'm not sleeping well, what do I want? I just want some sugar. I just want some five guys. You know, I, I just want something that is not good for me. And my self-control has been worn down. And it's similar to what happens with life. Pain, struggle, temptation, trial, disappointment. And those things wear on our faith. And when they wear on our faith, we are more susceptible to the temptations of sin. And so we need the encouragement of one another. We need our brothers and sisters to encourage us so that sin doesn't get a foothold. This is what the author of Hebrews says earlier in the book. In chapter three, he says, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Encourage one another so that your brother and sister isn't, their heart isn't hardened by sin. They need your encouragement so they don't give over to sin, so they don't see that the despair and the frustration and the disappointment is all there is. They need to be reminded, hey, God loves you. He is faithful. His power is at work in your life and you're not alone. Hey, I noticed this about your faith and I wanna encourage you to keep going. I noticed this gift in you and I wanna encourage you to keep using that. Hey, I want you to know you are a blessing in this community. We love you, we need you. Don't separate, don't isolate, whatever it may be. We need one another. We need encouragement in order to endure. And so I would, I would encourage you this way. Who is the brother or sister in your life that you know that needs encouragement? And you can see they're struggling. You can see that they're starting to isolate and they're starting to pull away. You can see that if they continue on the trajectory that they're on, they are gonna struggle in their faith. They are not going to thrive. How could you encourage them? How could you step in? How could you consider them and encourage them so that sin does not harden their heart? You remind them of the gospel, remind them of God's faithfulness, remind them that they're loved and they're cherished and they're needed. Remind them that they're not alone. Church, what would it do to our community if we were committed to this? What would it do if we looked out for one another and we were encouraging each other all day long and so that sin would not harden our hearts? Oh, how that would change this community. How it would strengthen this community. And the best part is, we'd all endure. Finally, it says don't neglect meeting. Simply put, show up. Show up. Like on the one hand, we need to show up because we need to draw near. Like we need to be in the presence of God. We need his power. We need his grace. We need to be shaped by him. 
But our brothers and sisters also need us to show up. Because we can't provoke to love and good works. We can't encourage if we're not around. But also, here's the thing. When you show up, what it signals to your brothers and sisters is they're not the only one. But like when we show up on Sundays, when we show up in gospel community, when we show up for whatever it may be, when we're gathering together, it signals to your brothers and sisters, hey, I need the gospel too. They need the gospel too. I'm not alone. I have a people that I can be a part of, that I can share my struggles with, that I can be open and honest with, that I can live in community with because I know they need the same thing I need. They believe the same thing I believe and we can be encouraged by one another. Your presence encourages people. You understand that when you show up on Sunday, it is an encouragement to other people and you don't even necessarily have to say anything, just being in the room. Show up. Don't neglect meeting together because we need the presence and power of God but we also need one another. And so considering and provoking to love and good works, encouraging and not neglecting meeting, these are ways that we help each other endure. These are the one another's that help us endure. So one of the things, I'm gonna say this in conclusion, one of the things that the Lord really dealt with me on during sabbatical last summer was this idea of endurance, this, this theme of endurance through a number of just situations and stories, just Mindy and I uh, just observed friends and family members and, and people that we were in community with and other churches seeming to kind of head on trajectories of not enduring, whether it be in their faith altogether or just thriving in Jesus. And it weighed heavy on us. And, and we stopped and we asked the question, are we living our lives in such a way that we're going to endure in life, in marriage, in ministry 20 years down the road. And it was a humbling thing to consider, but it was also hopeful because God's word points us to the truth that we can endure. There is the hope for endurance, but we cannot endure alone. I cannot endure alone. You cannot endure alone. We need each other. We endure in Christ through the help of one another. And so here's my heart in all of this. Church, I don't know how big we'll ever get. Do I want us to grow? Sure, because I want more disciples to be made. I want more people to come to know Christ, more people to grow and thrive. That's in the Lord's hands. But here is what I want to see 100%. Absolutely, this is my dream for this church. That 20 years from now, we're all still here. You know, maybe we move away. Some of you move away. Some of you are in the military. I understand people move away. But for those of us that are here, that stay here, that we're still here, that we haven't flamed out, we haven't turned our back on Christ, that, that we have endured, we have grown, we are more joyful and mature in Jesus, more confident in his faithfulness, more given to loving and serving and sacrificing for other people, that we're still here, that we're enduring, and that our kids are still here. That 20 years from now, the kids in this room who will become adults love Jesus and they are growing and they are thriving as they, they're married and they have kids and they help grow this church. That the legacy of this First City Church will be faithful endurance. That the roots will be deep. That is only going to happen if we consider one another. If we provoke love and good works for one another. If we encourage one another 
if we show up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after gospel community after gospel community after gospel community and as all together we draw near to the Lord. We draw near to God because what if Jesus has done and we celebrate together and we uphold together the supremacy of Christ and we let the supremacy of Christ be the thing that shapes our hearts and our minds, the things that we celebrate above everything else, the thing that we declare to the city and to this world. If those things are in place, church, if that's what we commit ourselves to, praise God will endure. Let's pray.